Amen and amen. Thank you, Leo, for leading us. Thank you, church family, for singing the songs of truth that we might exalt Jesus and also by hearing those truths, remind one another of God's greatness and goodness and strengthening one another's hearts. Guys, we're in Psalm chapter 19 this morning. Psalm chapter 19, and as you're turning there, I want to make a clarification from last week's sermon. The average child does not consume 7,000 calories of Halloween candy every year, but that is the average haul that they bring in, and it's up to you moms and dads whether you let them consume it all in one sitting, okay? And now that Reformation Day is out of the way, we've got the calories of Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's, and then the cycle repeats. We're going to look at a few psalms over the next few weeks and just allowing the, the reminders of who God is from the psalms and what that means for our lives just to, to really help orient and shape our walk in following Jesus over the next few weeks, especially leading in to the end of the year and this holiday season. So there's this story about a married couple I want to share with you real quick. This married couple, they lived, they, they lived together, they loved one another deeply for six decades 60 years worth of marriage. It was great. It was a strong, thriving marriage. But then came the time in their lives where it was obvious. The wife's health was failing her. It was deteriorating. And they were in seasons of life where the husband would be taking her in and out of hospitals, in and out of treatments. And it came to the occasion where it was obvious she was in her last hours on earth. It was there in her hospital bed she shared with her husband of six decades. Honey, I love you. I've enjoyed so many decades with you, but there's something I've been keeping from you I want to disclose before I go meet our maker. She said, there's this box I've kept from you all these years. So I want you to go home. I want you to retrieve this box. And she gave her husband the precise instructions where to find it. And so he raced to the house and, and located this box exactly where she described it would be. Shook off the dust, brought it back. And there at the hospital bedside of his deteriorating wife, they opened it. He was so surprised what was inside of this box. There were two little crocheted dolls in a pile of cash around the amount of $100,000. Imagine his excitement and surprise and just then thinking, what kind of side hustle has my wife been up to all these years? Like, like what is this? What's going on here? What is all this about? And so he looked in the eyes of his beloved, and she looked back at him with her eyes just barely hang, hanging on with life inside of her. She shared with him, she, she said, you see, honey, when we got married, my mother gave me some advice. She said, when it comes to you and your husband, when you have issues and disagreements or conflict, you need to resolve that conflict as quickly as possible. That's God's desire. But she said, but in the event you can't resolve that conflict quickly, don't say anything. Go to the other room and crochet some little dolls. And as you imagine the excitement on the husband's face when he saw this box and what was inside of it, it was even more exciting to think now, wow, baby, I have loved our six decades together, but you mean to tell me there's only been two occasions when we have left a conflict unresolved, just 
love even more deeper was just welling up inside of him. He said, now tell me about this cash. She said, well, that's all the money I made on all those dolls I've been crocheting over the years. <laughs> Think about the picture of that, right? Like, the, the portrait looked like this thriving, rich relationship of a marriage where just one conflict after another was committed not to the bitter end, but the better end, looking at it as opportunities to, for resolution and reconciliation decade after decade. But the reality was this woman with so much pinned up resentment, conflict, struggles, And think about that illustration in your own lives. How much heartache comes as a result of something not being said? You, you know that in your own relationships. Think about your own marriage relationship today. You get in a disagreement or an argument with your spouse. And you're not able to quickly resolve it, so you resort to, you know what, I'm just going to let it lie. I'm going to let it be. And as a result of the silence, the issue, it, it pusses up, it, it, it grows, it compounds, only to resurface more fiercely and with more destruction than there ever should have been. Oh, how much heartache comes as a result of something not being spoken in gracious dialogue. But you also know it in other relationships of your lives as well, don't you? You know about it when it comes to family members like your parents. Relationships like with your children or your siblings or your in-laws. And I know the reality, especially with the upcoming holidays in view. Oh, how much heartache there has been because there has not been something simply spoken and gracious dialogue. I mean, you could probably think about scenarios in your mind that you've been playing out in your mind over and over again about some relative, some family member said something or did something weeks ago, months ago, God forbid, years ago. And we know that's the truth. Where you're thinking, I can't believe they said that or I can't believe they, they did that. And instead of just going and having a simple conversation of gracious dialogue, of, of clearing the air, you internalize it and let it simmer and stew and boil to the point where you can't even imagine an enjoyable occasion of sitting across the same table from them at the end of this month. Let's talk more about that reality of heartache that comes as a result of not saying something. Because we know it's not limited to our marriage bed or our relationships with families. We know it to be true among the one another's in our church family. Not just our church family, the church families. Someone says something or does something to you, and instead of trusting the light of the gospel in Matthew 18 to Go simply say something, gracious dialogue. You only find it worth talking to everybody else about it. And assuring everybody else about it that, oh no, so-and-so, they know exactly what they've done to me. They know exactly how they meant it and they have offended me and they know it. And Satan has a field day with the bride of Christ. 
We know it's not just limited to the one another's here, but it's also among the one another's between you as sheep and me as shepherd. See, every week, Sunday morning, we believe the Lord's Day, Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, weekly basis, that I'm called by God to speak God's message to his people from his word for the week ahead, that we might live purpose for his glory. And, and I'm held accountable every week. I'm, I'm held, this is my review, right? Every single week, how well I base the words on this word. And there's some of you, maybe even here today, you think of something I've said maybe last Sunday or two months ago, maybe even two years ago. And I can't believe that pastor said that. I can't believe he had the nerve to say that. I know, he's, I, know he's talking, I know he's thinking exactly about me and my family when he shares that. How much heartache comes as a result of not simply saying something in gracious dialogue, picking up the phone, to text, to call, to email, to knock on a door in person and just say within hours, hey pastor, could you help clarify what you meant by such and such at church yesterday? You know what happens most of the time? Oh, yeah, this is exactly where I'm coming from. Let me share that with you. Oh, yeah, you, I didn't realize that's what you were walking through. That's just what God put on my heart from his word. That's just what's going on. Or you know what else is, is possible? When you don't say something in those situations, you rob me of the opportunity to repent and say thank you for practicing the one another's. I had no idea I'd missed it. Thank you for helping me in my following of Jesus. But we know what most often happens is you play these scenarios out in your mind of what I've said or what God has said, and instead of saying something in gracious dialogue, what happens is it's not something I've said that's untrue. It's something that has radically, biblically convicted you, and you don't like it. What an opening, right? It's true, though. And as a result of not simply saying something about it in grace, you play these words in your minds for weeks, for months. And instead of ever giving the light of the gospel an opportunity to have a conversation, you go try another church. And the testimony of the bride diminishes and what most often happens with those types of families, a few years later, they try another church. And a few years later, they try another church. How much heartache happens as a result when something that needs to be said in grace is not said? That's the mini-sermon to the sermon. And oh, I know that's heavy, guys. But there's another area, not just human-to-human interface where this type of thing happens and heartache occurs, but it also happens between you and God. An area more critical than any interaction between us because it's first always about our connection and relationship with God the Father through Jesus the Savior and the indwelling Spirit within us. And what happens is that there's this frustration not as a result of something not being said, but this constant frustration and heartache that comes up in the lives of a believer because God has already said what he needs to say, but you haven't heard it. 
You're saying, God, if you would just tell me and say something. And he's saying, child, if you would just hear something and listen, I've already told you. Look at Psalm 19. 19, 1 to 6, talks about God speaking. And it forces us to remember how frustrating and heartache it can be when we don't hear him speak. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. I mean, literally, it's saying the skies speak. That's your memorable alliteration there. The word of God is saying the skies speak about God's handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Verse 4. Their voice, whose voice? The voice of daytime and nighttime in this continual 24-hour cycle. The voice of day and night goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, in the daytime and the nighttime, God has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs its course with joy, it's rising. What, what's it? The sun. The sun's rising is from the end of the heavens. Its circuit to the end of them. There is nothing hidden from its heat. Now we know the reality, and based on science, it's not the sun moving around the earth. It's the earth moving around the sun, but it gives the, the image of the visualization of the sun rising and setting. And we come up with different associations to remember that. Early feast in the east. Right? The sun rises early for a feast in the east and rest in the west. Okay? That might be all you get from today's sermon, huh? Early in the east, rest in the west. But this description from the psalmist is saying, based on God's creation, the skies are speaking of this divine glory, this greatness of a maker. And you just see it in this early rising of a sun and this resting in the west daily, day in and day out, just this beaming with warmth and vitality. In the different areas of our lives, we know the heartache that comes when something's not spoken that needs to be spoken. We know the heartache that comes when something's not spoken that needs to be spoken in grace because it's not said, but between us and God, so much heartache comes because he has already spoken a truth sufficient for all of life, and we have just chosen not to be open and receptive to it. The skies speak of God's greatness. The skies speak of his divine glory. What theologians call this is general revelation. One of the first theologians who wrote about this, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1. Go with me there to Romans chapter 1. This general revelation where it doesn't take anything special or unique, but it's general. That's why it's called general. Chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 in the letter to the Romans. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Just, just talking about mankind, humanity. Because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So here Paul's building on what the psalmist talked about in the first six verses of chapter 19. The skies speak 
of the Creator. Creation itself has always called attention to the Creator. But we especially know it to be true in the world of distractions and technologies today. Maybe even the device you're on right now. And if I were to look over your shoulder, or if your kid were to look over your shoulder, you're not on your Bible app or taking notes from God's message for you today. Creation is always calling attention to the maker. We're just not always in a position of recognizing it and being sensitive to it. And I just love God's providence in in leading me to Psalm 19 today for the sake of the bride because here we are the first weekend of November and you you know where my flesh would rather be this morning? Not in a deer blind. Close. Close. Right, opening opening weekend of, of deer season, rifle season. Earlier this morning I would like to be in a deer blind. Right now I'd like to already have a deer field dressed and headed to early lunch, okay? Let's be honest. But I love thinking about first week of November, sitting in a deer blind before daylight, before creation wakes up. Right there in Dodge, Texas, exit 102, just north of Huntsville. You see stars out there. And if I shut my mind off long enough and the to-do list long enough, if I turn the devices off long enough, I may very well look up and and see and hear how creation has always called attention to a maker. There's a place that does this a lot better than even Dodge, Texas in the deer blind. It's Greens Bank Observatory in West Virginia. Green Bank Observatory in West Virginia. There's a setup with with these large telescopes and satellites, and it's in the business of leading edge of research to sending radio wavelengths out into the universe, back and forth. And what it's doing scientifically, it's listening to the universe. That's what it's doing there in Green Bay, West Virginia. It's listening to creation, sending back these signals. And it's neat, all the different requirements out there, all the... I guess all the personal freedoms you could say they they take away. You can't use cell phone devices and all these different things out there and Wi-Fi because it messes up and interferes with the signals. But out there, you see the the sheets of lights of stars in the galaxy. And even the most secular of scientists, as they look up in this glorious display of God's handiwork, they cannot deny asking them the questions of just, how did it all get here? What is all of this about? There must be something else to it. And that's where you come to that final little clause in verse 20 of Romans 1. See, the skies speak in this general revelation of a supreme being out there, a maker that, that no way this created order just happened by accident, but there is, must be a designer behind this glorious design. So as a result of the skies speaking to this truth, says they are without excuse. Another word for you from seminary, the teleological argument. Teleological. Looks like telescope at the beginning of it. When you consider creation, if you consider it sincerely, you can't help but come to the conclusion that there must be some intentionality of design behind it. Because that's the way general revelation works. There is no excuse for all humanity. Think about these six verses in Psalm 19. There's no grace that's articulated as the skies are speaking. Not that you'd be aware of without special revelation. 
all it's displaying is the glory of the maid as a result of some firm maker. And creation is without excuse. And my heart as, as a believer who's a recipient of God's grace, I, I can't help but be burdened thinking about what about those who are without access to special revelation? What about those who, whose only access is general revelation? Well, God works in mysterious ways. He can work in visions and different things like that. But you know how he primarily works and gets to those who have no access to God's word? He works through you as followers of Jesus. Because all humanity stands without excuse as a result of general revelation. There are tribes, there are people groups, lost, dying, going to hell. And God is calling some of you students to go to a Bible college and, and go to the mission field. God is calling some of you empty nesters to consider how might you not spend a retirement on, on a beach shore somewhere, but how you might take those resources of retirement and go be deployed for the kingdom of God. That those who are without excuse might receive a special revelation of God's grace, his word. All creations without excuse based on this general revelation, based on the sky speaking, this creation calling attention to the creator. But then we see in Psalm 19, Verses 7 to 11, the psalmist speaks about this special revelation. Not only do the skies speak, but Scripture speaks. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they. What's they? The words of God, Scripture. More to be desired are the words of God than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also, also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. See, the skies speak. Creation calls attention to there being a creator in this divine glory. But then Scripture speaks. And it highlights the grace that's been extended from this great, glorious creator. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Right? The grace of Scripture extends an opportunity for life to those who were dead in their trespasses. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. They bring rejoicing. They, cause, they bring reason for rejoicing and cause for joy in the heart of the one who listens to the truth of Scripture. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. See, creation calls attention to a creator. General revelation, we are gifted with the grace of God's word that we might see through this special revelation how it all fits together. That God is holy as maker of all things. He cannot even look on anything that is unclean, but he loves his creation so deeply that he relentlessly pursues every man, woman, and child through Christ Jesus who came and lived on this earth a perfect life. And though Romans says that 
We all fall short of the glory of God in chapter 3. Though Romans says that the punishment, the wages our sin earns is death on a cross. God the Son, living a perfect life, died that death and you're in my place. The skies speak of his glory. Scripture speaks of his grace. It's available for anybody here who's never placed their faith on that. Scripture speaks of this grace that is available for every follower of Jesus who's accepted it, but has an area of their lives that that need to submit to it greater today. And then the final few verses, from the sky speaking and the Scripture speaking, we we see the soul that God has created in humanity speaks as well. You going to make it, Levi? You good? Okay. He got convicted, man. Look at verses 12, 13, and 14. The skies speak, the scripture speaks of the grace, and the soul speaks as well. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. So here it's David the psalmist speaking, and he's speaking in response to to hearing and being sensitive to the glory of God, as well as the grace of God that extends to him. And he's saying, Declare me innocent from my hidden faults, the ones I'm not even aware of, as well as my presumptuous sins, the ones I have deliberately participated in. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. The glory of the Creator condemns creation because of our sinfulness, but the grace of the Creator extends this invitation should it be accepted by faith to be cleansed and declare righteous before him. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The sky speaks. Scripture speaks. The inward way we have been made speaks that there's something more out there. And we see the glory of the creation. We're just in awe. We realize how humble we are, how broken and sinful we are. But then we see the testimony of Scripture, and we praise God that there has been a way made through His grace. Light travels nearly 6 trillion miles per year. So that would be a light year, okay? Light travels nearly 6 trillion miles a year. That's a light year. The Milky Way, our galaxy, it's approximately 100,000 light years across. Okay, so here's what that means. 600,000 trillion light years across. That's how vast our galaxy expands. The Milky Way. There are about one million galaxies like our Milky Way. So the Milky Way, 600,000 trillion light years across, there's nearly a million of these. And based on the most powerful of telescopes and scientific data, the Milky Way, the one we live in, is on the smaller side. It's a little more modest than these millions of other galaxies. And these are the galaxies that are only known by the most powerful of telescopes, 
I mean, only God truly knows what else is out there. And here in our little galaxy, should it be in a deer blind or at Green Bank, West Virginia, or just a little west of the city lights, nearly 100 million stars in which the sun that we fly around, the sun is modest in comparison to all these hundreds of millions of other stars out there. Scientists know many of these things with fair degrees of certainty, but here's where it really hits deep. For as secular as these scientists may be, the dynamics of creation, they can't deny. They, they, can't, they can't look past it. They are in all. And what's interesting is they see our little Milky Way with planet Earth as the only planet where there is this life form of humanity. And let me assure you, that's the truth regardless of what video or scientists might tell you because John 3.16 says, For God so loved the what? The world. We're the only planet with human beings and life on it. There might be some crazy things that the demonic forces can do, absolutely, but God so loved the world. Humans are here, no aliens. And the scientists, even the most secular, they come to this point of thinking, there's planet Earth. There's so much else out there, but only planet Earth has humanity. Why, much, why so much wasted space? Like, such a large vastness of just wasted space. What's the point of so much wasted space? And here's what we know, and here's what God is saying to be reminded of today. We know it would be wasted space if it was all about us. It's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about your families. It's not about how nice of cars you can drive or homes you can have or facades you can put up in affluent Katy, Texas. It has always been and always will be about the creator of all creation. And it says the heavens declare him. His glory. We're all about connecting to Jesus and one another, but all for the sake of bringing Him glory. It's all about His glory and through the grace that's been extended to us through the incarnate word Jesus, He invites us to participate in His wondrous, glorious works. I hope you feel small today because we serve a great big God. If you would, where are you at? Let's just, um, let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. If you would, please allow your bladder to work a little longer. Don't get up. Don't move around. I know you have sat long at athletic events these last weeks and weekends. Don't check your social media. Just put it aside for a moment. We don't have the stars to look up to right now. But if you would, just eliminate the other distractions. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. And give 
him opportunity to remind you of what he's already said in his word. So much heartache results from things that aren't said in grace, but so much more heartache results from us not being aware and receiving something that's already been spoken. God invites you, if you never have professed Jesus as Lord before, to accept Him as your Savior and Lord today. And based on the skies speaking of His godness, and based on Scripture speaking of His grace and goodness, should you as a sinner say, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior and withhold the punishment that I deserve because of my sin, He guarantees in His grace you will avoid the heartache that every life living for this world will experience.